0: Alper, the T1 of Brass. I'm Carson Sistuli. This is Fangraphs audio. In addition, it should be said, in addition to Fangraphs audio recorded live on tape from Dave Cameron's house, featuring not Dave Cameron, not managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron, but in fact, prospect analyst both for Rotographs and also the main pages. Of And also a Winston-Salem resident, Nathaniel Stoltz, in the conversation that follows, uh, in fact recorded in in Dave Cameron's kitchen, right in Dave Cameron's kitchen, Stoltz and I uh, consider a number of issues germane to prospects and prospect analysis. For example, the challenges of evaluating a player like Marcus Semien, that is a sort of prospect who is talented uh, but does not have a carrying tool. As it were, does not have a carrying tool. Marcus Simeon, of course, will be uh, at least begin the season, starting second base for the Chicago White Sox. Stoltz and I discuss other prospects uh, who were expected either to begin the season on a major league roster or at least, uh, or at least make an appearance on one. Probably at some point in April. Uh, probably at some point in April. Finally, towards the end of uh, f- towards the end of our conversation, we also learned what uh, what Nathaniel Stoltz thinks about Jefferson Alacio's lower half. So we'll stay tuned for that. Obviously, it's Fangraphs Audio. It's live on tape from the home of Dave Cameron in Winston-Salem, and it begins right now. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, hi, Dave. you a little shake. Yeah. How you right. doing? I'm doing well. You're here. We're here. We are in uh, Dave Cameron's house. We are. Which I don't... I didn't... I made it clear to him we didn't have to do it here, like I figured we could find another place. He's like, no, no, it's okay, know. <laughs> So now we know where he lives though.
1: I, I do, it's seven minutes from, from my apartment according to Google Maps. Is that so, right? That's Did right. Did you
0: find that that was accurate? Yes, it yeah. didn't take very long. Where, uh, so where, what's, so this is called, well I won't reveal too much about where we are right? <laughs> without, without uh, Dave's permission, but where, so where do
1: you live? Not, not the address, but I mean, neighborhood or whatever. Um, well, I live like literally right on the city line of Winston-Salem, like on the west side of town, okay. like right by a suburb called Poff Town. Poff town. Yes, which is spelled P-F-A-F-F, town. P- Wait, one more time? P-F-A-F-F. And they call it Poff, though? It's, yeah. Not Faff? No. no. It, it looks like it should be Faff. Yeah. Though, but it's not.
0: Yeah. And how far is that from
1: uh, BB&T, ballpark? 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Although... W- the traffic here for for game days is awful cuz really? downtown yeah it it's not it's not well structured at all downtown so it's like you pretty much have to leave like 45 50 minutes before if you don't want to get caught in a huge mess of parking and get like routed like way out to crazy stuff
0: so it's just so it's not necessarily that is a huge mass of people going, although a bunch of people do go. It's just really, yeah, it's a pretty
1: too. popular park. Yeah, it is. Right. It is. It's a really nice park. If, if you're ever in the Winston-Salem area, people who listen, like, it's probably the best minor league park, particularly like below like the, like the upper minors that, that mm-hmm. I've ever seen. So, and I, and I do go to a lot. So,
0: right. You go to a lot. <laughs> it seems like it would be easier. It'd be nicer for you if maybe the team here had a little bit more talent. You've gotten to see some players. Yeah. But the White Sox system is not the most loaded.
1: No, they're not. But they you know, they they tend to have decent teams down here. So yeah. I mean they, they have uh they've always had something there for, yeah. for people to see. it's it's particularly in terms of depth. Like you're rarely sitting there watching some like total scrub. Right. So that's always yeah.
0: that's watch out fun. for your hands. Uh-huh. Watch out for your hands. <laughs> <laughs> Do you need um um, well, you saw Daniel Webb there. No, I saw Daniel
1: Webb in Kanapolis actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. I saw him in la- um in 2012. I keep saying last year when last year was right. actually 2013. And then I actually saw him once on a road trip I took out to Tennessee. I saw him as a visiting pitcher uh, this past year in May. So you went, okay. So, and then, now, did you ever see Nate Jones here? No, I didn't. Okay. I saw I saw your, one of your favorites, Marcus Semien. You saw it. Marcus Semien yeah, here? Yes, I did. Several okay. times uh, in 2012, yeah.
0: Was he—now this is—well, we'll, let's start with Marcus Simeon. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, Marcus Simeon in part because, as of right now, um, Marcus Simeon is expected to uh, play um, some second base for mm-hmm. the Chicago White Sox to begin yeah, the season. yeah. Because Gordon Beckham's on the DL.
1: Yeah.
0: And, um, of course, Simeon uh, had, a, what, a late-season promotion last year.
1: Yeah, September. Right, September.
0: Now, here's the, here's the thing about Simeon, and uh, I think I've exhausted probably the patience of readers, and certainly my editors uh, <laughs> and, and, and owner David Appelman, uh, with my affection for Simeon. But I think that maybe a discussion about at least his path might be illustrative in, in terms of how we might look at other prospects. Mm-hmm. Because now you see, you saw him in 2012. Yes. Okay. Because last probably about year, five or six times. Okay. So last year, last year was excellent. Right, he was very good at Double A. I yeah. think he had like a, a pot like a, 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 a walk to strikeout ratio above one. Yeah, um, he showed pop. Yeah, I don't necessarily know what the the dimensions are like at uh, what Binghamton, Birmingham. Birmingham, Birmingham. Sorry, Birmingham.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. I've never been out there.
0: Right, but he showed he showed some pop, mm-hmm. and he was playing. He played at least you know three infield positions. Sure. Right. Now, what did he show? What was he? What did he look like in 2012? And I guess. Depending on what you say, what does that tell us about um, what we could reasonably expect or unreasonably expect from a prospect to develop between two years
1: well it's funny because you know that we started talking earlier about like how there's not a whole lot of talent there, and that team that they had in two thousand and twelve had a lot of guys who actually to me were more interesting. Mm-hmm than uh than Marcus Semyon because like they had Trace Thompson and Keenan Walker and Eric Johnson and Scott Snodgrass were in the rotation you know they had a lot of guys that, that were you know considered higher prospects than Semyon at that time and, and looked like it and when when I would watch Semyon it was like his numbers were okay but there wasn't anything that really stood out about him it was like yeah he's not a terrible shortstop um you know yeah he doesn't strike out a million times. Yeah, he doesn't have, you know, he's not going to hit just one or two homers in a season, but there wasn't anything that really jumped out as a big positive to negate that. So for me at the time, I was projecting him as basically an end of the bench type guy in the big leagues. Um, and, And I think, you know, I didn't get the chance to see him this season. Um, in in 2013, but clearly, I mean, what made a huge difference was, like you said, that that jump in approach. Because you know, it's a pretty neat trick to be able to shave like you know five percent off your strikeout rate and add five percent to your walk rate with everything else. But going up a level too, yeah, going up a level exactly.
0: Yeah. So so that's the that's the thing. So let's first of all start with that that sort of profile, right? Because Semyon is a guy who, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. and feel free to expand on uh, because I'm a dummy, but. But there are certain players who have what we might call, or what I think is called, a carrying tool. Sure. Right? And it's like, it could be big power, could be like Billy Hamilton, his speed, Mm -hmm. where you say, God, even if he can't do anything else, if he's able to cobble something around this one tool, he has a place in a major league roster. Sure. Semyon seems like a guy who, and maybe play discipline has become that or something, but who is a sort of classic guy who doesn't have a carrying tool. Mm-hmm. And so if his, if his skills don't sort of all rise to the surface or float, this is a strange metaphor I'm making. I'm using my hands to do it too, which is not great. <laughs> but if, he doesn't, if, they, if all those things don't sort of rise together in a meaningful way, then he's a bench guy. You know what I mean? And I kind of think of like maybe like David DeJesus right. for me is sort of the, like the representative of this kind of player. Where you look at him, and you're like, God, he really doesn't do any one thing very well, but he does enough well that he's that he has can have a starting job. But right. if he was just like a little bit lower across the board, he would be definitely a fourth outfielder. Right, right. So, but so, say be say say what I said, except mm-hmm. be smarter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, no, I mean, I, th- I think you really hit it on the head with the fact that that approach is really emerging as the. um is kind of the driving force behind him is a, a notable prospect and a potential big league starter because, you know, that, at that point, you know, you go from just like, okay, there's this sort of like broad, boring profile of, you know, okay, he can probably fit on a roster because there's nothing really keeping him from it. But now, you know, now with, with that approach there, you go, well, maybe he's going to get on base enough that, you know, Hitting 10 homers or 15 homers becomes, you know, an asset, like, or, you know, or stealing 15, 20 bases becomes an asset, or playing a middle infield position becomes an asset. Um, you know, so all that stuff starts to play up when you have some major kind of center of the talent to build around.
0: It is, but I guess the the frustrating thing is, right, like, and and I'm sure this is something you think about constantly is, how do you know that that's about to happen? Right? (laughs) I mean, you you said you saw Simeon, you said not bad, but not, You know, I mean, like you were saying, like fifth or sixth or seventh most interesting guy on his team in 2012. And then he made that leap. But is there – do you feel like there's anything that would indicate to you – because there's going to be another player that does that same thing this year. There's going to be a small squadron of players that do that. And the point is, how will you know – before it
1: happens, or can you know before it happens? Well, I mean, you know, that's so, that's such a, a, a large question. Uh, you know, and, and there, there are going to be indications, you know, it, it all depends on what sort of the missing skill is. And, you know, sometimes you can see things coming. Like, you know, um, a couple weeks ago, speaking of, of the White Sox prospects, I wrote an article on another White Sox prospect named Ron Ravello, who's a first baseman. Um, and he hit for a lot of average this year, made a lot of contact through some walks. But he's a first baseman who has seven career home runs in four seasons. And so, but one thing that I noted in this article was he hit a couple really long home runs and he hit a lot of doubles and he swings hard and the, and the swing might be conducive to hitting more power. Uh, you know, and he, he supposedly has uh, a lot of batting practice power that shows up. So in some instances, you know, you have things like that where you can say, well, you know, this is somebody who, yeah, the power numbers haven't showed up. But they might, you know, we can see it coming. We can see, you know, elements pointing in that direction. Other times, you know, sometimes guys just reinvent themselves with hard work and just, you know, changing things that maybe you can't really predict. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, who would have thought that Jose Bautista would have suddenly become a 50 home run player at age 29 or whatever it was that he did? Although, actually, you know?
0: to that point, I was looking back at some old Baseball Americas, mm-hmm. and I forget what year this was, but both McCutcheon and Neil Walker. We're already we're part of the system too. So I must have been like oh six or something like that. Mm-hmm. 05 or 06. and and Baseball America named you know they go they go through and do the best tools. Yeah, yeah. And they they named uh, Jose Batista's having the best power. Mm. Yeah, so. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, well, so, yeah, so I, you know, so sometimes I mean, it, you know, sometimes it's it's easier to to predict these things than other times. You know, it's like one guy that I've been really um, pushing hard as somebody who's going to break out a lot this year is Rangers outfielder Nomar Mazzara, who's another guy who's like, you know, you could almost you could see the approach almost coalescing at times last year, but he was really young for the level, and it was like, you know, I, it was just like he would get in all these three two counts and foul pitches off, and he just didn't quite. Turn on the pitch to hit quite enough yet, but it's like he was 18, you know, and you have things like that where you can see the elements starting to come together and they're about to be reflected in the stat sheet. Or at least you can predict that, you know, with a little bit of further improvement and refinement and experience, you can see the results kind of come together on the stat sheet. Um, I wouldn't say that that's true in all cases, but there are certainly guys who, you know, if you see a lot of players, you start to see, you know, wait a second, you know, there's some dissonance between the numbers and what I might think this guy does in the future if he continues to refine.
0: Now let's talk about um, – it, it, it just so happens that it's, it's sort of lucky that you know a bunch about the White Sox system uh, because – not that you will have seen all these players necessarily, but they have a strangely high number of players. Uh, Younger players who will be starters this year, right, right, in in larger roles. Yeah,
1: um,
0: one of them is a competitor of Marcus Semien's at second base, while Gordon Beckhamson. That's Lurie Garcia, I guess. Yeah. And what, what sort? Of, I, th- I feel like he's very fast. Yeah. Um, and a part I want to say I want to say that part of what I want to accomplish here is to just is to hit some younger players. Sure. Who are going to be making debuts because the baseball season is actually. Against all odds, is starting. I mean, <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, Well, technically it has started. But yeah, yeah, I guess it know. has. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. As Dave Cameron noted in one of his posts today, though, not including weird days where the Dodgers are just playing some other team. <laughs> I mean, that's the only game that day. I, mean.
1: I liked how, like, I was reading some article that phrased it as, like, baseball will make its North American debut. I'm <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> that's yeah, that's true. Thing. It is. No, it's, it's entirely factual. There's no doubt um, about that. So... <laughs> What is Larry Garcia as a player? Well, you know, Larry Garcia is a guy that I haven't seen in person because, you know, he was acquired from Texas. But, I mean, he's somebody who, I mean, gets a lot of reviews for his uh, speed and defense kind of aspects, you know, and is somebody who has a lot of raw talent on that end. Uh, But if you look at what he's done, you know, so far, he's he's gotten to the upper levels. He's had a lot of trouble um, striking out. You know, he struck out like 30% of the time in a brief major league stint last year. And then when you combine that with, um, the fact that he's a little, you know, five seven, five eight infielder who doesn't have a whole lot of power, <laughs> you, you, you kind of get to the point where, you know, that's, that's kind of got to get resolved one way or the other before he projects as more than like a, a switch hitting defensive replacement kind of guy. Um, you know, and he's still young, I think he's like 22, 23, I don't remember. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but so, I mean, he's somebody who, who could, factor in there. Another guy who I think could factor in for the White Sox, you know, sooner than people think is Carlos Sanchez, who's a second baseman uh, in AAA. Had a bad year last year, really tore up the uh, Venezuelan Winter League, uh, and and is a guy, uh, also a guy who doesn't have much power, but a, a polished defender who has a, a pretty advanced hit tool, and I think we could see him, you know, have a nice bounce back here, hit hitting the upper 200s, close to 300 in AAA, and...
0: Well, so with regard you you invoke there the the Venezuelan link right yeah, and I'm curious as to um <laughs> as to what degree you integrate that sort of information those of Winter Leagues into your overall kind of notions of a prospect, if maybe you weighed it more heavily for certain players than others, et cetera?
1: Well, I mean, you know, so, some, you know, it's like a lot of, of small sample kind of things and that it's a lot of the time it, it serves as confirmation bias, you know, mm-hmm. to be honest, like, oh, I like this player. He's hitting really well. Well, that means, he, you know, he's back on track or something. Um, but it's just, you know, in the case of somebody like that, you know, you have a situation where he looked really good in, in Winston-Salem in, in, in 2012. He continued to hit in double A as a 20 year old. He kind of got a little bit tripped up in triple A. And so then, you know, you, you look at that winter league and you can say, okay, well, we're seeing the old skills come out in some context again. And right. so, um, you know, it can be encouraging for things like that, but. You know, same thing, I mean, I know you've talked about the Arizona Fall League and how unpredictable those numbers are, right. you know, and so a lot of the time it's just a matter of, like, what are, what are the general reports, you know, and is there is there something there to kind of build off of, you know. I, I wouldn't say that suddenly I think that, you know, because a player tore up a winner league that he's, you know, a totally different guy or, or, or vice versa. Right,
0: right. Um, and then another player uh, who it doesn't appear as though he's going to be the opening day third baseman, that will be Connor Gillespie, but um, right. the White Sox also traded for traded away Addison Reed for right. uh,
1: Matt, uh, Matt Davidson. Right, right. Who is a, can hit the ball hard? I guess. Yeah, a lot of people. I've heard people put sevens on his power. Um, you know, uh, a guy who who's got you know he's still got to figure out the, the making contact consistently, but reports are that you know he's he's got a shot at you know getting that strikeout rate to something reasonable and. Uh, you know, if he can if he can make enough contact and and hang on at third base, he's somebody who, could, who definitely could have a lot of future value for that organization. And third base is kind of a, a bit of a, a soft spot in that organization right now. So if he can if he can fill that, then that would be a real help to them.
0: Yeah, did they? Let's see. What were they supposed to have at third base, or did they just not have a plan? Is that? I mean, they have they they had to acquire Gillespie. They they acquired him from the Giants.
1: Yeah, I feel like they've
0: had. Have they had Jeff Kepinger there before? Yeah, they,
1: they signed Kepinger to the three-year, $15 million deal, and he totally collapsed it yeah. this past year. So.
0: Yeah, that did not work out particularly well either. Yeah. I guess I'm thinking across, because in uh, in Chicago um, with the Cubs, they have uh, what I'm, I'll call a panoply. Yeah, A yeah. panoply of third-base prospects. Yeah. Some of them, like, I even think, like, at this point, Josh Vitters. Yeah. Is, I don't necessarily think he's done from what he's done, right. because uh, he, he actually... Uh, he made an
1: appearance last year. Um, Vitters is one of those guys who's, who's younger than you'd think he is, too. He's like 24 or it's something. It's so disorienting.
0: Yeah. That's an, Well, that's for me, has been a, a problem looking at Wilmer Flores of the Mets yeah. a lot. Because you're like, this guy is only what, 22 now or something
1: or whatever. I mean, he, was, he was born in 91, I think. That's yeah. right. Yeah. He's
0: still just like a tiny, like a tiny baby. <laughs> yeah, well, not, just, he's not tiny. Not tiny. He's <laughs> not a tiny person.
1: Um,
0: he, those are not baby's thighs he has. No, but, um, no.
1: But yes, yeah, so or count- shortstop size while we're yeah ahead. right yeah that's
0: true. Um, and maybe not. Maybe there isn't a position for those for that body type. I don't know. Not in the NL. <laughs> um. But um, but yeah, I guess. But the, so the Cubs are interesting, right? In that they ha- they have sort of like an excess
1: because now they also have Mike Olt. right? Who, who's going to break camp? I believe.
0: Is that right? Okay, I, th- yeah. I think
1: they said he's going that he made the team. Yeah,
0: right. So he and he is maybe. He has been a third baseman.
1: Yeah. Um, he might still be a third baseman. I think the defensive reports on ult have always been good. That's always been a selling point for right. him. So. Although I
0: think sometimes, it, maybe this happens, maybe it's just me uh, lying. But it's uh, it seems as though it can happen where if a guy shows almost too much power for third base, <laughs> that they move him across anyway. They're like, oh, he's a first baseman. Well,
1: that's, that's one thing that I, that I talked about in an article a month or so ago where I was talking about how rare first base only guys actually like succeed and mm-hmm. because like so because that's the one position where like every like first base guys can't move anywhere else and you've got all these third base guys moving to first you've got corner outfielders moving to first sometimes you have catchers moving to first and right. so so that that's what ends up happening a lot of times some of the first base only guys end up getting boxed out even if they have You know, decent bats or whatnot. Right,
0: of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I can think of, because I know a couple years ago when I went over the Bill James Player Raider from like the Mm mid-90s, you know, you come across Jim Tomey, who was a third baseman originally. Uh, You come across Carlos Delgado. Who was a catcher. Who was a catcher. And he became, of course, a very, very productive first baseman. Um, and
1: th- those are hardly isolated incidents. Well, Miguel Cabrera, Albert Pujols, Mark Teixeira. I mean, there's so many guys you can name. I that's mean, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like literally half of the guys who play first base in the majors were not first base prospects, really.
0: Right. So the question is, so so that just puts like a lot more pressure on yeah, a player I mean, like uh, DJ Peterson, for example. Yeah. With Seattle. I mean,
1: yeah. And so I mean, it's just it. it that's one thing. Like I. I it's, Finds it's so hard to rank like a first base prospect highly just because it's like the historical odds are so low, right? Of of those guys really breaking through,
0: and and yet it happens, I guess. Like uh, sure.
1: An- Anthony Rizzo, maybe sure. Anthony Rizzo, uh, you know, Prince Fielder hasn't been bad. Uh, Prince Fielder <laughs> hasn't been bad. Um, Tigers fans might disagree, but yeah, um, you know, I mean, th- they come up, but but certainly like it's it's about half and half in terms of you know where where the prospects, if you know, where a major league first baseman came from. And a lot of the guys who, who stuck around at first sometimes are, are the guys like James Loney or Casey Kochman who don't really have great careers either.
0: Now, um, we talked about Davidson. Of course, he came from the Diamondbacks. Yeah. And the Diamondbacks actually are having a shortstop competition mm-hmm. yeah. between, uh, and maybe it's been resolved. I'm, I'm not uh, responsible enough to have, to have checked, but... They have a shortstop competition between Didi Gregorius, yeah. who has showed some skills yeah. and has also sometimes not shown as yeah. many skills, yeah. Yeah. and Chris Owings, who I believe had a, a pretty tremendous season, um, albeit in a generous run environment, yes. uh, last year in the Pacific Coast League. Yes. So uh, what's happening there? Chris Owings, I've heard positive reports from the spring, but...
1: You know. Yeah, Chris Owings is, is one of these guys, you know, he's he's kind of tough to figure out because... I mean, you know, and again, this is this is somebody who I haven't personally seen, but you know, these prospects that have the bad strikeout to walk ratios always make me a little nervous, because uh, you know, controlling the zone is just one of those things that, like, if you can't control the zone, you you can count on probably you know one or two hands the number of majorly legitimately good major league hitters who cannot control the strike zone. Right. And if you look at Chris Owings's minor league career, he's had a lot of trouble with that. Um, at the same time, he's also a shortstop, which means his offensive bar isn't very high. He's athletic and he's always been really young for his levels. And in fact, in September last year when they called him up, I I don't remember, you know, I I'm I don't have numbers in front of me, but, you know, his strikeout-to-walk ratio was actually a lot better than you would have expected, like, in just that that brief stint. So there's some hope there, um, but he's just a guy who I've always kind of been a little bit skittish about, you know, anointing as this, like, future really good player just because he's got to demonstrate that, that, you know, once Major League pitchers force him to be honest, um, you know... Is he going to be able to lay off those sliders in the dirt or the fastballs, you know, at the shoulders and all that kind of stuff? Gregorius is, is a guy who I think, you know, is a result of this controversy and all the hype uh, around Owings. I think, you know, people kind of forget D. Gregorius came up. I don't remember when it was like last May. He hit like 300 for a month and a half or Mm -hmm. something, you know? And I mean, of course, that's, that's a great example of like right after that, he collapsed because pitchers forced him to be honest. Right. Um, but he's still his season numbers ended up pretty decent. He's you know he's got some defensive chops, and I think you know there's a lot of teams who would who would have an upgrade. I think particularly long term uh, with, with but, Gregorius, yeah, with Gregorius,
0: right. How does he compare to um, another player who I think uh, is not technically rookie eligible this year, but is also quite young, and that's Nick Franklin, right? Who is another who, due to the Mariners' offseason, uh, finds himself as being a player who is generally projected to produce about average numbers right right between his defensive acumen whatever it is and his offensive skills Mm -hmm. but doesn't have a job i mean would there be overlap between teams looking at those sorts of players or is nick franklin just not enough of a shortstop really to make that happen
1: My guess would be that, you know, they're, they're, you know, it's, it's like they always say, there's just one team that needs to believe in order to, to make that kind of thing happen. So if there's one, you know, if there's one scout for some team out there that just really thinks that Nick Franklin can be a shortstop, and there may well be, knowing how, how scouts can differ, then we could see that happen. But, uh, you know, I think that, that probably most teams are going to view him as more of a long-term answer at second base, and most teams are going to view Gregorius as more of a shortstop. Mm -hmm. Um, and Franklin, of course, has more, more offensive particularly power upside to dream on you know that would make him more palatable at second base than Gregorius would be anyway so uh you know I think they're you know you you could see some of the teams in the in that market at the same time like if they have one middle infielder that they like they can play either spot Mm -hmm. but uh I think aside from that uh it'll probably be somewhat different now
0: Uh, let's see. There's two. There's two orders of business here. One of them involves Alexander Reyes, <laughs> whom you enjoy. And whom I do, I, and whom I recently saw.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. And, that's right.
0: And actually, it sort of, it dovetails. So we'll we can we'll introduce them simultaneously. These concepts with with uh, the formula. Uh,
1: yes. We'll, we'll call it the formula Whoa. for
0: the moment. Um. But let's so you uh, do not drink the formula yeah <laughs> in the not very distant past uh, 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 rotographs I guess yeah about was, Alexander Reyes, yeah, referring to him as the best prospect you'd never heard of
1: best pitching prospect best pitching prospect that that the audience has probably never heard
0: of well but now but so um, <laughs> it creates a sort of a a logical um it's not—it's not a logical fallacy, but it's like a, you've created a paradox as soon as you've done that, right? Yes, that's right. Because of course, <laughs> the entire internet comes rushing when no, Daniel writes that, the that's, that's right. And, uh, <laughs> and so now they have heard of Alexander Reyes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you create. Well, it's funny because a lot of people were were promoting him at like that same time because I know Jason Parks was talking about him over at Baseball Prospectus and right. Baseball America said something about him at the same time. So he got a lot of press at once. So people got excited about yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. So
0: the thing is Alexander Reyes was what, 18 last year? Yeah.
1: Pitching at? Uh, the Appy League uh, high rookie Johnson City.
0: Okay. All right.
1: Um,
0: and as you noted in your piece, you 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 watched uh, Appy League, Appalachian League pitchers. Yeah. yeah. There's uh, the odd guy who hits ninety something, yeah. But you don't you don't see a lot of that, and then you don't. And then if you do see that, you don't see like a serviceable, well shaped breaking ball going no. along
1: with it. <laughs> no, you don't. You, you you'll see guys who hit you know in the nineties. You know, I would say the average velocity probably of a, major league starter fastball is probably about ninety miles an hour, as opposed to like ninety two when you get to full season, but. uh but yeah, to see the combination of a fastball that averaged about you know ninety two and a half, ninety three, uh, and then a, you know a, a breaking pitch that if it's not plus, it's pretty close to plus, uh, you know, decent change up delivery that you know works, you know, from from not just an appy league pitcher but a young appy league pitcher, mm-hmm. that you know was was really kind of a revelation, you know. And,
0: so with regard to risk, because I, I saw him uh, down in Jupiter, yeah, and I saw him and then. I was also sort of attempting to do to provide this experiment to do this experiment. And i I've half written an article, but I sort of I don't know if I'm gonna finish it. We'll see. <laughs> uh, regarding Tim Cooney as well.
1: Oh yeah. Former Tim. former uh, Wake Forest pitcher.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. We are in the uh, we in the very town. So um and Cooney's interesting too. Um he produced crazy numbers in yeah, double he a. Did. a. Very good yeah. very good numbers, at double A last year. And uh I thought so I wrote just a... A piece for the main site, just basically, and I saw these guys' piece, right? And it's you know, and I find value as a as a reader. I find value in these sometimes because you'd be like, oh, like what's the most recent velocity reading on Tim Cooney or Alex yeah. or did you know? Did someone see his curveball and what does that look like? Yeah. So that's fine, but I I felt, and this is something that um that you and I have discussed um, not on the podcast, but is always tr- attempting to. Synthesize what you're seeing from a prospect currently and then giving some indication of what that means for future value, right? Yeah. Attempting to do that. Yeah. And so I when I did that Cooney and Reyes piece, um, I was like, you know, I did say how hard he's throwing and I did say that his, you know, his curveball looked good or whatever. Yeah. But I feel like kind of, I felt kind of dirty because I didn't, I didn't try even, I didn't even try to, I didn't try to say what that might mean at the major league level. Sure, and I feel like I feel like that's something that, for example, is expected of scouts, Mm -hmm. right? Because or in people who make decisions in front offices, because you know a GM or a director of pro scouting or you know director of scouting might say, "What's this guy mean to you?" Right, you know, and you can't just be like, "Well, he's got a 93 mile per hour fastball." <laughs> no, no, you can't. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, that's fine. Well, what does that? What does that mean? Right, you know what I mean. Right. You, I pay you to tell me things. Tell mm-hmm. this to me. So I figured, like, I figured, I such a report. I feel like requires a good faith effort, even though if, if it's you know entirely embedded within caveat after caveat after caveat. Yeah. To at least make some sort of assessment. So I was actually playing around with. Just as kind of like a toy, um, you know, like we know – here's what we know about strikeout rate. We know that swinging strike rate is pretty predictive of it. Sure. And with regard to walk rate, we know that first pitch strike rate is relatively predictive of it. And in terms of home run prevention, we know that ground ball rate is pretty predictive of it. Mm -hmm. And you can usually see – even if you just see four innings of a prospect, you can be like – he might skew more this direction or this direction. So I was kind of fooling around with the tool. Now you, um, after I did some uh, posts uh, last fall that involved like taking the different components of a batter, yeah, and attempting to translate those into wins. You did a similar thing, just as an exercise. Yeah, we'll qualify entirely. <laughs> we
1: we will, we will. Yes, you
0: will yeah. qualify entirely as an exercise to um, to being able to put like different grades on pitchers. Yeah, and is I really liked how you you did it, and I can actually um, maybe I'll um, for the benefit of the listener, I'll put a link to the spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Just again, entirely <laughs> with the qualification that this is a, it's an exercise. Yeah, and
1: the numbers didn't really come out the way I wanted them to, but it was still like you know I, I think that it's I think that what it does have is like that it reflects a lot of like my thinking in terms of like what goes into an evaluation like long term I, I you know i didn't really you know because i threw this together in like an hour so the numbers like did, it came out to basically like everybody's above replacement level right, 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 like right. but no um, like don't do that but uh but in terms of like the way that you maybe break down some of the skills i think it's it's kind of kind of an interesting start to the discussion
0: right so and that's the idea you drew, you, drew, you did a uh, you came you came up with a, a spreadsheet or a formula that took into account a lot a lot of things um, Athleticism, uh, projection, risk, lower half use. I mean, I mean, even like, so, and you put a grade on lower half use, like, uh, Jefferson Alasio <laughs> has, uh, 25. Yes, he does. Yeah. Uh, uses his lower half poorly. Yes, he does. Whereas, uh, for example, CJ Edwards in the, in now in the cup system. Yes. Uh, or Alex Reyes, the yes. aforementioned yes. Alex Reyes. Yes, that's right. Uh, they use their lower half really well. You gave them both 60s. Yeah, yeah, and so and so, but you found a way to somehow integrate lower half use into into like a I guess what first the mechanics project. Projection. Yeah, there was a
1: mechanics grade, and then I, I translated some of those variables. I actually never put into the actual formula. Yet. Okay, yeah, yeah, but uh, but the mechanics thing, yeah. So right, so
0: I guess what did you what did you sort of learn about or how did this at least maybe affirm for you some of your biases? Whether positive or negative in terms of how you project a picture.
1: Well, I have to look at it again. Well, here. Um, no,
0: I have it right here. <laughs> um, there. This is uh, – that's the sound right now is uh, Nathaniel Stoltz looking at my monitor. There you so, go. So you can start – there's the arrow button. You can go all the way over. OK. I'm going to eat some of this uh, spinach salad while you're okay. At that. OK. Yeah.
1: Um, well, I mean it, it really – you know, it comes down to – I mean I think there's – what what you kind of get with this is like there's three aspects – of projecting like a pitcher there's there's first off there's like the stuff you know so just like straight up you know what's the fastball um in terms of you know a grade and then like uh in terms of like the velocity and the movement then you know you're breaking stuff because everybody pretty much throws a breaking pitch and then like a changeup which for starters just about all, all starters throw a change-up and then you've got on top of that you've got sort of the mechanics like so you know that would sort of be kind of the the equivalent of like an approach for for batters. Now, of course, batters have mechanics too. but So it's like you've got the stuff. Now, what kind of a delivery is it coming out of in terms of like the deception, in terms of um, like the lower half use, you know, like the mechanical safety, the mechanical soundness, the repeatability, all that kind of stuff. And then on top of all that, so when, once you've sort of said, well, here's where the stuff is and then here's where the mechanics are, then you have these other sort of more more universal grades like athleticism, projection, um, consistency, uh, and, and that's where you get that stuff on top of it. So you, you sort of have your present stuff, you have your present mechanics, and then, you know, how much really risk and potential uh, right. upside might there be from where the player is now to where he's gonna go? Um, so that's sort of the way that I was thinking about this, and I don't know. Now what, it
0: seems like with some of that stuff, there's gonna be interactivity, right? Like when you talk about, Mechanics. Mechanics will affect repeatability. Yes. But mechanics will also affect something like risk or you know future health. Oh or whatever. yeah. Yeah. So you have. I mean, it and that's really why I a scouting is important. I guess right because at a certain point, rendering each of those things, trying to separate them, is a is a difficult task mm-hmm. because um you have to like trying to assess. Um, we we're trying to look at the mechanics and trying to assess, like the repeatability and, and how that affects, like the ability to throw strikes or command, for sure. example. But then, simultaneous to that, uh, also looking at how that might inform future health, right? Because you know maybe something's really jarring or whatever.
1: And then you've also, of course, got what what they're pitcher is at present with that so you might have a pitcher who you go well i don't think this delivery is going to work in terms of him throwing strikes but there he is throwing strikes in front of you and so you know there there's a few different levels that you have to consider things on and it's not like just one thing can can be isolated as is like the big informant of everything but right
0: well sometimes i see in a scouting report and i don't and i this is not really a a strict criticism but i will i will say that it is occasionally a bit frustrating because of how nebulous it is, which is—you'll um, see a report on a guy and it'd be like uh, he needs to learn to throw more strikes before he's going to be effective at the major league level, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I see that line and I'm like, well, that—I pro- mean, that's probably true. He probably does need yeah. to do that. I guess the thing that I'm always curious about in those situations, and it's not just with, with regard to strike throwing, right? It's regard—it could be in anything, but uh, is well, what is the likelihood of that happening? Right. And that's the thing. That's a field this is like a whole frontier of prospect analysis that I feel like is not met, uh, not entirely acknowledged. Sure. but yeah, so okay, he needs to throw so for example, Nate Jones, uh-huh. Nate Jones, and I'm bringing up Nate Jones because Cameron, as we drove by the stadium yesterday, Cameron said, uh, "Oh, that's where I used to see Nate Jones throw 100 miles per hour and have no idea where it's going, <laughs> right? Yeah, and now Nate Jones kind of does know where it's going yet. Yeah. And now he's the closer for the Chicago White Sox. Yeah, I don't know how much the Chicago White Sox need a closer, but uh, <laughs> for the moment, mm-hmm. yeah, um, not not as much this year as they will ho- hopefully for their sake in the future. But when Daniel Webb will be the closer? Yeah, right. <laughs> but, but 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 Nate, but Nate Jones throws a, he throws a bunch of strikes now. Yeah, and he, and he's effective, and it allows his other it allows. His, uh, I guess he throws a slider, probably, or something. Yeah, I think yeah he throws
1: a it's like 91, 92 miles an hour slider.
0: We got it. Oh, hi, Liberty. This is going to be effectively the end of the podcast, Yes, by the way. Yes, it is. Say hi to Liberty. Do you like dogs? <laughs>
1: sure. <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, she's very friendly. You can push it her. Going, you can push oh, it going, right. Dave? All right. <laughs>
0: oh, yes. Oh, yes, I love you. Oh, oh, yes.
1: She's very affectionate. <laughs> she is.
0: Yeah. She really likes people. So that is uh, – <laughs> wait, what are we talking about? That's We're talking oh, wait, about, we're Nate, talking about Jones. Nate Jones. We're talking about Nate Jones, Cameron. Oh, uh, yeah. 100 miles an hour does what That's literally <laughs> what I just said.
1: That's exactly what he just said. But
0: the – idea of that was where it's going. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and that's why he's a good pitcher. But how do you – but so in his scouting report, Cameron – you can you can join this podcast from afar. All right. In a scouting report, you might you might have seen about Nate Jones. Um, he can throws a hundred. He throws hundred miles per hour. He just needs to throw more strikes. But the point is, what you don't what you frequently don't see in a lot of prospect analysis is the sort of probability that that will happen. Right. So or, when you saw Nate Jones, what was or what or what?
1: Well, to me, I think generally the throwing more strikes often comes with not throwing as hard. Guys decide the way to throw more strikes is to throw ninety five instead of hundred. And so it's not that they're going to throw 100 with strikes. Right. They're going to throw 96 with strikes. And you have to decide how valuable that is. Right.
0: As yeah. opposed to that.
1: Well, it's also you know it's also a matter of the mechanics too. I mean, you know, in terms of how much effort is there, and, and sometimes that'll correlate with the velocity is reducing the effort. But I mean, they, like they had a, they had a kid. You know, we're, I guess we're we're, gonna, we're just gonna talk about White Sox prospects all day today. But uh they had a kid too. <laughs> I think we've touched on three already. Right. Yeah, that's, um, that's more prospects <laughs> than they have. Um, <laughs> um, but they had a kid there, Browley Ortiz, this year, and he was throwing like ninety three to ninety seven. Uh, with a lot of life on the ball, and he was walking, like, when he got up, like, in Canapolis, he walked, like, 13%, and Winston, he walked, like, 17%, um, which is really bad, obviously. Um, but it was like he was doing it from this sort of very kind of free and easy delivery that you could kind of see him learning how to repeat in the future. He had just been promoted straight from the Dominican Summer League to full season ball, uh, you know, and you could tell that he was still having a little bit of inconsistency, but the basic motion was fluid. Right, right. And so sometimes you can project, you know, again, like I was saying earlier when we were talking about the hitters, you can kind of see, you, you can visualize this is what Braulio Ortiz would look like consistently repeating this motion. I can imagine this happening. Right. Whereas other guys, like the aforementioned Jefferson Alacio and his 25 lower half use, uh-huh. I, I, I have a very difficult time imagining him repeating a delivery. I have to um, see
0: a Jefferson Al- Alacio pitch now. Is it just look like a total mess?
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think there's about five starts of his on my YouTube channel. You can... uh he, He's he's a six seven two 270 pound teenager that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a big man. He's a big... He's, he's a big man. He's a big minor. He's not he, even... Yeah, he's turning 20 in a couple days. Wow. And he, he, he'll probably be here this, this year. Um... At Dave Cameron's house? Yes. <laughs> Is that okay? With you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. If...
0: All right. Well, I think, I, I think that we've... Uh, I don't know if we've exhausted all prospects. Did, did we miss anything that you desperately wanted to say?
1: Uh, well... I hope people read my reports this year. That'll be fun. Yeah, read. We're doing kind of a, read we're, Stoltz. We're reports. doing the um, the stock watch this year, right? Yeah, right.
0: So uh, prospect coverage at Fangraphs hasn't changed, but um, a, a feature that Mark Hewlett has utilized, that I think, that has been good is the is a sort of yeah prospect watch where every day there's consideration of uh, multiple prospects. <laughs> you give the talk? Yeah, no, she's cute. <laughs> and then, uh, but. Um, so what, we'll, we're going to be doing that every day.
1: Yeah, and I'll be doing it twice a week, and other people will be chipping in.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fun.
1: And uh, I start my scouting journey on Thursday. Where are you going? Uh Either here or in, in Kenaples. I haven't decided. Depends on the opening day starters. So. How
0: far is Kenaples from here?
1: It's an hour south.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Here, right. here is closer. Yes, yes <laughs> it is. Yes it is.
1: Um, here is also. Kind of more annoying because of the aforementioned traffic and all that stuff. So
0: Canapolis is like, is that an easier ballpark to get into? Oh yeah.
1: Kanapolis is great. Yeah. Um, I love, I love it there. I, I well I, I, like all the parks around here because I go, I go to Hickory a lot and I go to Greensboro a lot and Greensboro is an hour east and Hickory is an hour west. So wait,
0: where's your grad studies now? Where are they? It's awake.
1: Oh yeah, but I mean are you done? Uh, in a month, in a few weeks. Okay. And so in May.
0: You, are you writing some sort of long paper?
1: Yeah, the one that we talked about on the first time I was on the podcast.
0: <laughs> Is that a dissertation
1: It's a thesis. It's a thesis, yeah. 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 Is that fun? Uh yeah, it's it's been it's been interesting. I'll probably uh I I'm I'm in the the middle of compiling all the stuff I'm gonna use for the study, so I'll I'll be sure to let everybody know oh, when yeah. that's out. Yeah, once it's yeah, please post it on the c- because because if reading, you know, my 10 page prospect write-ups is enough, let's, let's, let's read me <laughs> writing 70 pages about, you know, All about right. writing, yeah. about <laughs> prospects. That'll be good. Um, Alright, well let's yeah.
0: shake hands one more time. It was All a pleasure right. to meet you. Yeah, it was a pleasure to meet you too. That is uh, Nathaniel Stoltz of yeah. uh, Fangraphs and Rotographs. Yeah. yeah. Elsewhere these days? No, I'm, I'm just doing that for now. Okay, I'm yeah. Just doing that and also, and also, Wake Forest's uh, what? Linguistics department?
1: Uh, communication,
0: communication yeah. department. I'm, uh, I'm Carson Stuuli, and this has been FanGraphs Audio live on tape from Dave Cameron's home. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs>